The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Yesterday was a day of offertory, and I shared with you that we were $1,228 short of our goal. The Lord richly blessed us yesterday. By the end of the day, the commitments that had come in totaled $1,400. So with what you have already given this month, plus yesterday's covenant radio for this month is covered, and I'm rejoicing in Jesus, for only he can move in your hearts. This is not listener-sponsored radio. This is Jesus-sponsored radio. And if he doesn't move in your heart, we will not be able to continue. So I want to thank you today for your sacrificial giving that the work of the gospel could continue to go forward. I believe the work of the gospel is always to be carried by free will tithes and offerings. Thank you. If during this broadcast you still would like to contribute toward the cost of now next month's radio broadcast, you're welcome to call uh, our producer at 877-534-0780. And thank you for your consistent faithfulness in giving. Some of you, every month, the same time, I'm very grateful. Sometimes even doubling the offering that the radio message can go forth. Now, the message today, Walking in the Light, I almost named Walking in the Light while being a nobody. We need to go deep in the message of the cross. We need to go deep about Jesus. It's not a shallow issue. It's not one that we can quickly speak about and then the work is done in our hearts. It takes time to be holy. It takes time to be holy. And without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This is not something that you look at as a hobby. It's not something that is to be treated casually, the most important issue of your life is where you will spend eternity. And if you have not secured that in reality, not in the false teaching of the sinning Christian, of the wicked reformed teaching of our day, if you have not secured that righteousness in Jesus, then you of all men are walking in blindness, Now, one of the saintliest men that ever walked in this United States and in Europe was surely John Fletcher. John Fletcher was born September 12, 1792. He was a contemporary of the Wesleys. In fact, he became an incredibly wonderful, pious Methodist pastor. But as he was struggling with this walk with God. 
He paid a great deal of attention to his own dignity, the dignity of the human nature. He was very ambitious to act in a manner becoming his exalted ideas of that human dignity. But he recognized finally his desperate condition before God. Until we have recognized the devastating reality of our pride, until we've looked at the utter depravity of our, of our hearts, until we've looked at our utter and complete inability by our own works to be reconciled to God, until we recognize our own total inability to subdue and destroy the sinful nature, we are going to be a chaos of contradictions and bitterness and anger, struggling. At 25 years of age, this young man, this searcher after God, wrote these words in his diary. Instead of going straight to Christ, I have wasted my time in fighting against sin with the dim light of my reason and mere use of the means of grace. As if the means would do me good without the blessing and power of God. Now what did he mean by the means? By the disciplines of the church, by the rituals of the church, by the long prayers and and all the other means of grace. He said, I fear my knowledge of Christ is only speculative and does not reach my heart. I never had faith, and without faith it's impossible to please God. Therefore all my thoughts, words, and works, however wonderful before men, are utterly sinful before God. And if I am not washed and renewed before I go hence, I am lost for all eternity. I would here observe that anger in particular seemed to be one of the sins I could not overcome. So I went on sinning and repenting, sinning and repenting again and again, but still calling on God's mercy through Christ. I was now beat out of all my strongholds. I felt my helplessness, and I lay at the feet of Christ. I cried, though coldly, yet I believe sincerely, Save me, Lord, as a brand snatched out of the fire. Give me justifying faith in thy blood. Cleanse me from my sins, for the devil will surely reign over me until thou shalt take me into thy hand. I seldom went to private prayer, but this thought came to my mind. This may be the happy hour when thou wilt prevail with God, but still I was disappointed. I heard an excellent sermon on these words, being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I heard it attentively 
but my heart was not moved in the least. I found relief in Mr. Wesley's journal where I learned that we should not build on what we feel, but go to Christ with all of our sins and all of the hardness of our hearts. Intending to partake of the sacrament, John studied a hymn and and he prayed it over many times. He then retired for the night, but was awakened by a, a terrible dream in which he had committed grievous sins. He awoke amazed. Rising, he knelt to pray with more faith than usual. When tempted with his usual besetting sin, he felt that there was not even a ruffle in his spirit. When later two or three temptations came to him, he observed that there was peace in his soul. He attributed the change to the Lord's working in his heart. In the evening, while reading of the experiences of other Christians, he found there was a similarity between his case and theirs and re-emphasized the sermon he had heard on justifying faith. Wondering, however, if he might not be deluded, he remained on his knees until one o'clock in the morning when he opened his Bible to Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast thy burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He will not suffer the righteous to be moved. And then, opening his Bible once again, he was comforted with Deuteronomy 31. I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. And then in his diary he wrote, With this comfortable promise I shut my Bible being now perfectly satisfied. As I, as I shut my Bible, I cast my eyes on that word, whosoever or whatsoever you shall ask in my name, I will do it. So having asked grace of God to serve him till death, he wrote, I went cheerfully to take my rest. And the story of John Fletcher that we'll probably come to at a later date. He did find saving grace. And he did find in justifying power that he was also made righteous, not just forgiven. I'm sharing some of these stories of men, of women, of courage in ages past that that you might also be awakened to the shallowness of your own heart and your own life and recognize that you cannot just say to yourself, I'm saved and be saved. There is a providential, divine, supernatural work that must be done in your heart that delivers you from the sin that so easily besets you. I want to read for you First John, the first chapter, 
I'll begin reading to you from verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I want you, my brother, my sister, I want you to walk in the light of Jesus Christ. You do not walk in the light by simply saying, okay, pastor, I'll walk in the light. No, it is not an easy task to lose and to leave behind the ways of darkness. We do not just walk from the dark into the light as casually as we might think. We do not enter that groaning gate of salvation without groaning. We do not enter that suffering gate that Jesus spoke so boldly of without suffering. Well, what is the suffering? I want to share with you the sufferings of a man many years ago who walked through this. His name was Gerhard Terschen. This young man, let me see what the date was. He was born in 1697 in the Rhine Valley in Milhelm. Let me share. No small stir was occasioned in Mulham when the young merchant, Gerhard, retired from his business and took up lodgings in an isolated cottage in order to search after God. For some years, his relatives and friends left the youthful 22-year-old to his odd quest. Another young man, many hundreds of years before, had retired from his active life in the city of Jerusalem to the Arabian desert, where he too was to be initiated into the deep things of God. And Gerhard, like St. Paul, was to share the secrets that he learned in his Arabia with the sin-burdened and sorrowing, the hungry and the dissatisfied souls. These yearned for soul food instead of the intellectual rationalizing of the formal ministry. And today I'm looking for sin-burdened, sorrowing and hungry people, dissatisfied people who are not willing to put up with the entertainment of the modern church who are tired of being told you can walk in your sin when you know in your heart you must be transformed into the likeness of Jesus if you're going to enter into that kingdom above. I'm looking for honest souls, honest men and women 
who truly are beginning to understand that their heart must be totally awakened, that there is an intimacy available to us with God that satisfies the cry of our heart. And to do so, we must walk in the light. And we cannot get into the light intellectually. We must be brought into the light by the power of the Holy Spirit. We will never walk into the light when we're trying to gain something or avoid something. As one young man pursuing the gospel of Jesus because he believes that's the only way he'll find a wonderful wife. He is to be radically disappointed. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not to be prostituted by saying, I will follow Jesus so that I can avoid hell. Or I will follow Jesus so that I can prosper in my business and have wonderful connections. Many people go to church because there they have a wonderful social life. Just as many people go to a Starbucks regularly or, or they go to a grocery store or they go to a, to a health club or to a restaurant. We all have places where we go where we find some modicum of comfort in this world. You cannot treat church that way. Oh, yes, church will be a place of comfort if we walk in the light. But if we walk in the darkness and we go to these places in our own dignity and our own strength to gain a little bit of help on our journey, we will never walk in the light. The light is literally the glorious presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the light. Anywhere there is light... There is Jesus. All else is darkness. Gerhard he would give us his reason for the escape from the social and business contacts. The conviction that he was simply too frail to successfully outride the currents of the world about him. His seven brothers and sister, save one who entered the ministry, were all intent upon making money. And when this member of the family, this youngest member of the family, turned his back upon the good business opportunities that were presented to him in order to live a simple, frugal life, where he could search after God, where he could read the scriptures, where he could pray. His name was no longer mentioned among the family members. And when his mother died, he was not invited to the gathering where the family divided the assets. Now Gerhard's father, Hemlich, Henrik, he died when the child was very small. He had been a very pious merchant, a member of the Reformed Church. Letters found after his death revealed that he'd been in touch with many of the spiritual movements that were beginning to move in Germany in that day. 
He was born in 1697, which was just six years prior to the advent of John Wesley into the Epworth Rectory in England. Now, at this time, Germany was still suffering from the devastation which resulted from the thirty years of struggle between the Protestants and the Catholics. Twelve million people perished during these wars of bloodshed. Whole villages had been pillaged and burned. Fields and orchards were laid waste. In Lipsick, in 1686, there was not a single Bible or New Testament that could be found in any bookseller's shop. This was a time of a very low spiritual life. The Lutheran Church had succumbed to the dead rites and ceremonies, and those who tried to reform the Lutheran Church were called heretics. Now, God did have witnesses. He had men who tried to preach, who, like I, have come to speak to you, to talk about moving out of the icy region of your head with the faith of Christ and moving it into the heart. It's almost as though these men were trying to form a church within a church. Let me tell you what their message was that was to shape Gerhard in his quest for Jesus. Their first distinguishing doctrine was if you're going to search after Jesus, there must be a total renunciation of yourself. There must be a complete giving up of self-will to the will of God. You must renounce yourself. You must cast down all of your desires for success, and you must go and trust wholly and completely in Jesus Christ and do what he tells you to do. The second teaching of this just beginning reform movement that would finally lead into revival was the teaching that the Holy Spirit of God was continuously moving in the hearts of men to convict them, to cause them to repent, to bring them into a wonderful relationship with God to bring them into a heart-warm relationship with Jesus. Not a cheap, sentimental relationship with Jesus, but a deep, abiding place where all of self is given up and the intimacy with Jesus is warm and hot, where every man and woman would have times of sweet fellowship and refreshing in the presence of Jesus. May I stop for just a moment and ask you a question? When was the last time you spent a night 
in sweet fellowship with God, where you were overwhelmed with the love of Jesus, where you sensed his presence about you, and the waves of love just flowed over you until you thought you couldn't stand it anymore. You thought you would die. When was the last time you were so happy in Jesus that you could not help but shout and glorify his name? Oh, my brother, my sister, this is the reality we must have. Jesus is most wonderful. I lift him up for you today. He is the light, and if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with Jesus, and we have fellowship with the Father, and we have utterly renounced ourselves, and we've turned aside from all of our own agenda. We seek Jesus. Now the third teaching of this just beginning revival is that all religion is worthless if you have an ulterior motive for pursuing it. If your goal is to be a more successful person, if your goal is to acquire wealth, if your goal is to somehow be used to do something great for God, it's all utterly worthless. If you're saying, oh, I'm pursuing Jesus because I want to do something great for the church. Worthless religion. It's all the dignity of man you're concerned about. It's yourself you're concerned about. Self must be put on the cross. Self must die. We must turn entirely, completely, away from our own success and our own life and be filled with the divine life of Jesus, with the divine light of Jesus. We must turn away from our own agendas. I don't need Jesus so that I can, whatever it is. I need Jesus because he is Jesus. He is enough in himself he is worthy of my adoration and my praise and my love just because he is Jesus. And the fourth essential point that these preachers of God began to speak into the hearts of his people was that essentially there is no difference between the laity and the clergy. There is complete equality between them. That the, that the clergy are simply there as servants to help the laity give up their lives for Jesus Christ and to serve Jesus alone. Now, yes, they taught there must be order and discipline. We need the organization of the church. The church is is high in the hearts of these men and women. If you make the Holy Spirit high and the church low, you've missed the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to build up the body of Christ, to teach us about the light of Jesus, to take over our life so that we will serve the church and serve Jesus in an honest manner, in a disinterested manner concerning our own heart and our own life. 
Now, these teachings were being brought forward in 1697. I hope you recognize that these are the same teachings that I've been bringing to you day after day, week and month after month, year after year on this broadcast. And and so these teachings of mine of righteousness, of not walking in sin, of renouncing self, of walking in the light of Jesus, these are the teachings of Scripture. This is what this wonderful apostle said. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Jesus is the light. I pray that I, as I speak these words to you, there is a quickening in your heart. There is a, I pray, a desire on your part to seek after Jesus and the light of God. Now in the province of God, the city of Mulham, Germany was to be the home of Gerhard for most of his life. But let me go back and speak a little bit about his preparation. He was able to finish the grammar school where he was a very good student, very adept at languages, but then he was forced to give up this because his mother, who was widowed, did not have the financial resources to send him to school. And so he was apprenticed to his brother-in-law, who was a merchant in this mill town. And these were very, very hard years for this young boy. His employer, his brother-in-law, was rigid in his discipline. He had no sympathy for the boy's meditative and studious disposition. The few hours he craved or he carved for study, were denied him. When he was not employed at his job, he was forced to roll empty barrels backwards and forwards across the courtyard because his brother-in-law wanted to keep him busy. Gerhard had no taste for keeping accounts and writing business letters and selling goods. But later he was very grateful for the discipline of this training. Now, it was during this interval of apprenticeship that Gerhard came to know the pardoning grace of God. There were a number of different focuses that were at work in his life. There was a godly weaver residing in Milham that did much to influence him, speaking to him about the Lord Jesus. There was a message he read that was written by a dying pastor. It deeply moved his heart. And then there were special convocations 
that he would attend in his district that attracted his heart, and he was awakened under the preaching of a man by the name of William Hoffman. This William Hoffman, in his preaching, caused him to be awakened to a very deep dissatisfaction. He was conscience-stricken. He would go about his toil in his apprenticeship, waiting for the time when he could snatch a few minutes for prayer, and whole nights he would engage in his search and his groans and his tears. And I know those tears and those groans were heard in the courts of heaven. Hoffman pointed this young man to the rest-giver, to Jesus. But it was not until he was passing through woods on a long journey when this young apprentice was suddenly gripped with pain and fever and he thought he was going to die, and he was unprepared to meet his God. His pain and his fever vanished, however, as he lay in the dirt, crying out to God to save him. And he rose, his fever was gone, his sickness was healed, and his heart was overflowing with gratitude, because suddenly... He knew he had been brought into the presence of God. He said, later writing of this, I heartily rejoice whenever I see a prodigal son coming to himself and arising to go to his father. I also was a swine herder. And when after a thousand threatenings and invitations, I came at length as I was to become what I was not. I needed only to beg and wait a little while, and I was infinitely more graciously received than I could have hoped or expected. You see, if you have never lain before God with groans, if you have never been willing to look at your own darkness, how can you know the true reality of, of your condition before God. Some of you have never begged God for salvation because you thought you could just say, Oh, I forget, I, for, I repent of my sins, Jesus. Would you, would you now know that I accept you, Jesus? You're acceptable to me. <laughs> Such shallow, cheap religion today brings no inward confirmation of the Spirit of God. It brings no shouts of joy. It brings no grand expectations of the glorious coming together of God and man. If you have never begged God for salvation, you have never been saved. You have never truly been received and your heart is icy and cold, and your religion is but a formality or a sentimental attraction. I want the real light of God. He wrote, I have known the time when I knew not where I should find food for the next day. 
and was without a friend who was acquainted with my situation. I was at work from five in the morning till nine in the evening, and occasionally I lay ten or twelve weeks in bed with no one to care for me. You see, he had left the apprenticeship, and he opened his own business, and he wove ribbons. For five long years, this recluse experienced great darkness as the sense of God's approval in his life was withdrawn. This is not uncommon for a man to come to the Lord and know the joy of his presence and then suddenly to find that the presence of God is withdrawn and your heart is broken because where is he? This is a wonderful time of testing that God brings his children into to know, are you really serious about following me? And it is a cry from the heart of God to come closer. As he looked upon the church of the day, he was so distressed at the apostasy. He was so distressed by the worldliness. He was so distressed by the divisions. He finally gave up reading many of the books he's been reading. And he just turned to the Lord in humility. He wrote, Our Lord Jesus was silent and kept himself concealed for thirty years in order that by his example he might inspire us with a fondness for a truly retired life. And scarcely did he spend four years in a public manner. I often think if we were, that if we are that awakened and would endure only four years of probation in silent mortification and prayer before we showed ourselves publicly, our subsequent activity would be a little purer and less injurious to the kingdom of God. This is a secret but common temptation to the enemy to create the subtle device of the flesh by which the tempter seeks to allure us from one thing needful and to weaken our strength by the multiplicity of the objects in which we are engaged. But the flesh finds a life of mortification too straight for it and too disagreeable We may breathe very easily and even maintain our flesh in every outward spiritual and, a, and apparently profitable exercise, while us in the meantime, the mystery of iniquity at the bottom of our heart remains unperceived and unmortified. Please let me say this very bluntly to you, but very kindly. Until you are brought into the desert place, until you are brought into the desert place and the presence of God seems very far away, until we are recognized as nobody, we will never discover the depth of the wickedness of our hearts. 
It is the purpose of God to get all the way to the bottom, to that root of bitterness and pride that must be eradicated by the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus. You cannot go to the door of service and be profitable for the kingdom of God without knowing the depth of the wickedness of your own soul and to have had that dealt with by the Holy Spirit. I know of men who have walked in great anguish in business year after year after year, 14, 15 years in the desert, struggling, barely surviving, humiliated beyond any human expectation until God has dealt to the very bottom of their soul so that they can be used for the work of the kingdom. John the Baptist, a few months of ministry. He spent his life in the desert, probably with the Essenes in a very strict regime, training, until he became as bold as a lion. He never went to Jerusalem to preach. He remained in the desert out by the river, the Jordan, and people came from all sides to hear him preach. His message was, Repent, prepare the way of the Lord. The Messiah is here. The kingdom of God is among us. But he never worked a miracle. He never worked a miracle. He didn't feed the crowds as Jesus did. He was nobody. And after a very short time of ministry, he was cast into prison and then executed. That was his whole life. Until you're willing to be nobody, you cannot be somebody in the kingdom of God. Oh, you can be somebody in the false church. You can be somebody in the worldly church. Men will adore you, praise you, gather to hear you speak. But the power of God will be absent. <laughs> I know the pain of being shut away, of being shamed being nobody. I'm a slow learner. I've been in this desert for 40 years of having everything taken, stripped away. When I was a young man in my 20s, I was speaking in venues with thousands. I was the protege. I was acclaimed and sought after. And then Jesus began to remove the favor of the church. He brought me into a place of being nobody. Nobody. 
I walk in the light of the Almighty God with joy and thanksgiving to be nobody. Oh, my brother, my sister, are you willing to take up your cross and follow Jesus? Almighty God of heaven, I cry out for every person listening to this broadcast that you would bring them into the desert place, that you would teach them how to beg you for salvation, that you would expose the wickedness of the depth of their hearts, that you would remove them from the shallowness of our current church, that you would bring them into your heart, Jesus, that you would expose them to the light of the gospel, that you would extend to them your love and your forgiveness. Lord, thank you for my brother and my sister. Accomplish this work now in your mighty name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ray Greenlight Pilgrim's Progress. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. If you're hungry and looking for a place where you can truly begin to be in the desert and meet Jesus, then I invite you to come. I don't invite the casual. This is boot camp. This is the real deal to come after Jesus. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church. We meet at 12 noon on Sunday. And the address for the All Saints Anglican Church, 12 o'clock on Sunday, is 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. All Saints Anglican Church, 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. Drive around to the back side of the All Saints Anglican Church in the parking lot, and there you'll see a large sign that says Lower Lobby. Come in through the ground level double glass doors and the worship center for the National Prayer Chapel will be on your left. I welcome you to come. Now, I also would like to give to you an invitation to to write to me. I'm grateful for the many notes of encouragement and testimonies of what God is doing in your lives. Thank you. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, it's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I invite you also to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com nationalprayerchapel.com there you'll find podcasts videos sermons classic sermons everything meant to give you free of charge the depth of jesus I invite you to download free and give them to friends 
I'm going to look for you on Sunday. I love you, my brother, my sister. I urge you, live in the light of Jesus. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Hello, this is...